This is episode three. My name is Neil Mackay and I'm your host. And today I have a guest who was suggested to me by Chris Dundon. So massive thanks to Chris for suggesting Damien Kilroy and introducing me to Damien, who's here today. Thank you very much, Damien. Pleasure. So Damien used to put on events at Cargo, which if you're a OG Saigoneer, uh, you'll remember Cargo, which was a big music venue here in Saigon, put on a lot of great events. From what I hear, this was uh, before my time in Saigon, and he's also a bar owner and club promoter, and also the organiser of the Coracle Festival, which is coming up at the end of November, which is down in Ho Cham, which is an arts and music festival that I'm looking forward to. I'll be heading down there. And also as well, Damien has given away three passes to the Coracle Festival for our listeners. So stay tuned, and if you listen to the end of the episode, I'm going to tell you how you can win those passes. They're worth 1.5 million dong each. So thank you very much for giving them. You're welcome. So tell us a bit about Coracle then. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been yet. Which it's uh, yeah, it's the second year. Um, it's myself, Rod, who used to own Cargo, and uh, Lynn from Saigon Outcast. So it's a collaboration between the three of us. Um, it's one live stage, one DJ stage. We're at a new resort this year, so there's an outdoor pool. There's live stage on the beach. Uh, the DJ stage is in a volleyball court, so it's a, it's a nice spot. We've got beach bungalows this year, so mm, you nice. don't have to camp. <laughs> was that one of the was that one of the barriers to people going if they don't want to camp? I, it is even for I'm almost forty now, so you know I struggle. That's why it's only two nights because I couldn't do three. So. Um, yeah, just a bit more creature comfort, you know, AC, shower. <laughs> I mean, that's probably what I'd be looking to do. I'm nearly 40 as well yeah. now as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's like in Glastonbury, right? You have like the, the glamping packages and things like mm. that. Like you go down and you pay a pretty penny for it, right? Yeah, we're not that expensive. No, no, but I mean, in Glastonbury, you, it's... Sure, yeah, 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 right? yeah. I think we're probably... Bungalows are probably nicer than what Glastonbury has yeah. and a lot cheaper. <laughs> But the lineup's great. We've got um, the Lemonheads playing this year. They played at Cargo before, so they're coming back. Lidmore's coming back. So it's nice to have some of those artists that played with us before in Cargo and to, to have them back in Vietnam. It's great. Well, let's talk about Cargo then. So I've heard a lot about it. Um, and um, one of the things, right, so, and I think this is how I got talking to Chris about you, is so I love live music. That's... I'm from Glasgow, and as you probably know, Glasgow is like a live music city. Yeah. The Barrowlands. Like, I was going there from when I was, like, young. Do you know, when I was in Glasgow, right, every band that came to Glasgow would be like, oh, we love coming here, you guys are the best, we're the best stop on the tour. Every band that would come, right, and you're like, yeah, yeah, but you kind of, like, just say that everywhere you go, right? But then I went to my first gig in England, and I was like, even though even my first gig in Edinburgh, which is an hour down the road I was like this is not the same as Glasgow and then I went to London it was less rambunctious less crazy I was like I don't think they were lying and then I went to gigs in like America I went to see Black Rebel Motorcycle Club in Australia right. they're a rock and roll band everyone stood there yeah just I watching the, I had the same experience with seeing the Stone Roses in Australia I was there in Manchester band and seeing them in Manchester is insane hit, you know right. like the atmosphere and then seeing them in Australia and people were stood around and you like, paid a hundred dollars for this but I think Glasgow and Manchester are quite similar in that respect. They're kind of people who like to have a good time and like to have a party. Um, good working class. You know, yeah, maybe. yeah. And like when you go out, you go out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that gig I went to in Australia with the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, there was literally, you could swing a cap between each person. They went like Glasgow, everyone's like shoulder to shoulder and it's mental. And if, if you can push your way past somebody and you get the balls to do it and you're strong enough, you get past them and then that's it. And in Australia... You could walk in between people, and people were like, "Hey, what are you doing? Why are you going in front of me?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah there's so much room here. Like, it's just such a weird experience." So, um, I think where we're from, that thing of being barged, you know, barging into people in a gig, it's not seen as an aggressive, you know, act, or you know, you're not looking for trouble. It's just accepted. Whereas I had that with Stone Roses. I was wanting to you know, jump up and down at the front, and people were getting really pissed off. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I'm repeating myself here, but like I went to see Franz Ferdinand, who are from Glasgow, and I saw them in Philadelphia, and it was just the first album had come out. They were getting pretty big. They came on the stage, and I was like going crazy, and I'm bouncing up and down. Everybody else just standing there watching. I was like, "What is going on right now?" I'd seen them in Glasgow, and you know, it just goes mental. Yeah, yeah. So I'm getting off track. We're talking about cargo, so. Um, so tell us a bit about the history of cargo, but then for people who would know about it and people who don't know about it. Well, Rod, Rod who started cargo, he did um, Bob Dylan right back in 2011 at RMIT. So that's interesting because that just came up in the first episode with Room in 2. Okay. And she watched that but from across the river. Right. And I didn't even know Bob Dylan had come here. And I went and Googled it and read and about it. Most people don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then when I moved to Saigon, I used to do gigs in Croatia and stuff where I'd lived before. And then when I moved to Saigon, I was still getting emails from agents about artists wanting to play Croatia. And I, I kept having to say, oh, I don't live there anymore. And then I thought, why, why can't we do something in Saigon? So I was going around looking at venues, hard rock and stuff like that, but there was nowhere suitable. And then I got in touch with Rod because I knew did Bob Dylan we sat in his office and he was like ah I've got this new place we're opening and he was like I don't know what we're doing with it yet you know we've got this new venue but we need stuff to go in it and and that was it really the first show we did was with uh, Frank Turner an acoustic show and that went pretty well and then we did Japan Roids The Cribs we, we did sort of a bunch of regular gigs then Black Rebel was probably the biggest one yeah and then when it closed it was, it was just sad <laughs> Well, and then so that's what I was saying is like I missed live music you know because it just there is music here but there's not not like to the same level that we're used to sure. from where we are from and I lived in New Zealand before here and even then I missed music a bit but we still got some bands came through I saw Elton John that was pretty good saw right. Black Rebel Motorcycle Club so they are it's funny that Black Rebel were here because they are my favourite band Yeah. and uh, I've seen them now in five countries so it would have been amazing to have seen them here so did you meet them? Yeah, I looked after them for a couple of days, and they were they were nice. I mean, they were kind of jet lagged and a yeah, bit yeah. worn, and the drummer was sick. But once they got on stage, yeah, they, they were class, like you know, real professionals. And they played over two hours. You know, it was, um, I think we had about nine hundred people at that show, so that was uh, that was probably the highlight I think for a lot of people. And, and sadly, Rod missed it. It was the only gig he missed. He was in Cambodia doing a gig up there. Yeah. Um, I, when I saw them in New Zealand the last time, I was only about 700 people, so your 900 would have been pretty good. I've seen mm. them, I saw them at Finsbury Park supporting Oasis as well, and they were, right. they were good. It's a funny story with Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. So um, it was a Sunday, right, in Glasgow, we were in university, like 20 years old, something like that. My mate, who's massively into music, Mark Bean, I give him a shout out. My mate, Beanie, he called me, and he's like, You want to go and see this band tonight? They're playing at Student Union. They're called Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. I was like, that's a ridiculous name. We're going to go see a band called Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. And he just said, how are you going to judge a band's music on their name? And I was like, you yeah, know, that's a really good point. I sound really stupid right now. All right, let's go check them out. Unless they call the Wombats. Oh, I love the Wombats as well. <laughs> I love the Wombats. So um, it, it's one of these things, the name sounds ridiculous at first, but then when you just get used to it, it just becomes like the name. Yeah. So we we went to see them at the Student Union in Glasgow University, Queen Margaret Union, I it's called, and they just blew me away. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. And so after that game, we went outside. They were there hanging outside the tour bus. It was just their first album. Like yeah. I think it's not even maybe out or just came out. Yeah. And uh, we ended up hanging out with them, like drinking Jack Daniels. And we brought out a bottle of Jack Daniels, passed it around. We were chatting away to them. And uh, yeah, since then, I've just been pooped by them. They're not as rock and roll these days. No. There wasn't much drinking going on. No. Uh, that's all right. They're a lot older now. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. He's got like grey hair now. And it's, yeah. Like, I think all those guys that went hard when they're younger, like, you know, a lot of people die, don't they? I think you've got to look after yourself <laughs> yeah. at some point. Like Bobby Gillespie, I think he's, he's not had a drink in a while. Yeah, it's a certain time when you start to look at, start looking after yourself. It's that rock and roll lifestyle, right? You can't, you can't really do it forever. As long as you give the impression on stage. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so tell me more about Cargo Bus. So then, it was it was getting bigger. You were getting more acts. What was the reception then from like the the, the Saigon public? I always feel that it was a little undersupported. You know, to think we had this great venue in Saigon that was 
right in the middle, you know, just over the bridge in District 4. And even though, like, we had some good gigs there, often think there should be a couple more hundred people at this. And even, I, I had friends that barely even went, you know, that for a couple they, of years. Why were they, they not coming? They were just expats, just get lazy, I think. They sit on Bouvier and, like, have a few drinks, like, oh, I was going to go there, and then it's just, it's hot. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, I've got to get a taxi or... You know, it's like, if, if it was back home, you know, you couldn't live as, that close to a, a music family. We'll be right back. Join pilot and adventurer Fernando Pino as he takes you on journeys to discover exciting destinations across the UK and Europe. You'll fly with him to hidden gems and experience local culture, from bustling streets to serene hideaways and the best places to eat, sleep and play. Travel Plans is more than a podcast. It's your ticket to exploring the world and its history with a friend. In this episode, we are flying to discover a beachside paradise perfect for the whole family. Discover golden sands, activities galore, and even free childcare so you get your own break too. <sighs> Why am I still here? Well, I mentioned this before, yeah, I mean, I do a lot of events on my job and, and for privately as well, comedy nights and things like that. And yeah, it's a challenge getting people out and it's, we talked about it before on the episode as well, you probably know like the D2 bubble or the B7 bubble and, yeah. and just getting people to come out. But, uh, yeah, I never really thought about it compared to back home when it would be pretty normal to be like, I'm going to go to another part of the city or... Yeah, because even as a kid, like if in my teenage years, if I was, you know, 16, 17, whatever, going to a gig in Manchester, going to the Apollo, I'd live in Emston, I'd get the train into, into the city centre, get to walk to the Apollo or the academy, and that wasn't considered an effort. You know, it was just something you did. And, you you know, tickets went on sale, you booked your tickets straight away. And there's, I think there's a different culture here, certainly with the Vietnamese, but expats, once they get here, it's kind of like people get into their kind of bubble, like you say, and rarely leave it. <laughs> well, well, let's go back in time a bit then, because, uh, so you said you're nearly 40 and you're from Manchester, so tell us about that then, so, so I'm 37 from Glasgow, like I said, but I was like obsessed with Oasis growing up, got into the Stone Roses as well, and um, kind of loved the whole Manchester scene, so tell, tell us a bit about that, if somebody's listening and they don't know what I'm talking about, what is the Manchester scene, why was that an important time period? Um... I, I, I think it gave you some sort of kind of belief or kind of aim to like do things the right way or do things the way quite selfish really you know like I, I think you know we go back to Tony Wilson and the Hacienda stuff and they know we built this for the kids and then it's like that's bollocks we built it for us you know we wanted to do something we liked and there's a, there's an element of that obviously like we, we get offered bands or acts sometimes or I used to when we did cargo and it's like I'm not putting them on and it, it might have made sense financially, but it's like, I'm not doing that. There's always an element of like, oh, I like them, we'll do that. And then even if you lose money, it kind of softens the blow. Because like, like we, we did a show here with Wild Beasts, who we were amazing live, and that was a show we lost a good chunk of cash on. But it's also the show that, for the people who were there, that was probably their favourite show, even more so than Black Rebel. Like, Misha who spoke to Paso Street, like, that was an amazing show. And, like, Daniel, a friend of mine who was there at the time, was like, thank you for bringing these here. And it's like, it was hard, you know, it's kind of had a sick feeling in the stomach. We just lost a chunk of cash, but the people around you are going, this is amazing. <laughs> you <know>? The contrasting <laughs> yeah. feelings, yeah. Right. So who did you see in Manchester when growing up? What bands did you see? The, the, I mean, I, I went to, like, a lot of stuff with my dad when I was a kid. And then uh, when I got to, like, 15, I went to the Charlatans at the Apollo with my, with my mates when their, their self-title album came out. And then um, then I saw the Stone Roses on the second coming tour at the Apollo. And then after that, just loads of bands, even, you know, bands that were starting up like Elbow or, you know, that were in Doves and things like that. Just anything that came about, we had so many small music venues, the Roadhouse, sadly not there anymore, Ruby Lounge, Night and Day. You know, there's loads of those small places that you could see some great gigs. Even like um, Trail of Dead, American band, you could see at the Ruby Lounge, 250 people, um, 10 quid a ticket. So there was always that stuff going on. And that, that, to grow up with that, you take it for granted. 
or you live in other places. I remember when I first went to Zagreb and no one had played there since the war. And it, it was like, oh, this was, this was cooler shit where the p- Pixies played and this was such and such. And like, it felt like the day the music died. Everywhere was locked up and it was depressing. Yeah, and it, it, such a cool city, Zagreb. So that made us want to do some stuff there. And then um, it's, it's the same with Saigon. I, I loved Saigon, but there was nothing music-wise going on. Like, no, this, like there was a lot of DJ stuff and, you know, people based here that were putting on DJ nights, which is it's fine, but live music is personally my, you know, my sort of drug of choice. Why wasn't there a music scene then when you got here? I don't know. Like, I, I think culturally still, it's not something the Vietnamese generally do. You know, we talk about growing up in Glasgow and Manchester, and I couldn't imagine, you know, when I was like 13, 14, I was buying the Melody Maker, NME. I was obsessed with music, you know, listening to John Peel and, and new music and wanting to, wanting exposure. And I think here there's a kind of, it's more like a commodity. You know, it's sort of disposable. It's like, oh, I like that because it's popular, it's famous. Ariana Grande or Justin Bieber. There's no, you know, there's no passion behind it. I think we're just being very expat right now because it's just a different culture, right? Sure. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. like talking about we grew up with it, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking about if you're a 37-year-old Vietnamese man, same age as me, when you were 15, you weren't listening to Manchester bands, Glasgow bands. Like you, you had a completely different upbringing, so it makes sense why. I, I, I get that. But also, at the same time, I don't really see it from a Vietnamese thing, like the young Vietnamese. There's a few bands now that started in the last few years, like Capo Quang are really popular now, and they're playing Coracle this year. We, we put them on at Moon A Festival in 2015. Nobody came to see them, but they've done really well now. And um, they're playing 3,000 people next week in Saigon, at 350,000 the ticket. So there's things that are working here that the kids now I think maybe that growth of the middle class where kids have travelled abroad it's something now that they they desire whereas it's still counterculture and it's still an alternative I think but on the whole if it's not if it's not a part of your culture it's not part of your life you, you don't miss it so and I think that that's the way like we had a couple of Vietnamese staff that worked for us and they didn't really get it until they experienced our gigs I remember a girl that after the vaccine show, she was like, wow, that was so good. The hairs on my arms, you know, like... But there was no media support for that kind of stuff. You know, no one's put on websites, no one's... It's not played in Vietnam, there's no exposure to it. So to try and get those kids to come to the gig, it's really difficult. You know, especially when it's 15 or $20 a ticket. And I guess if the Vietnamese people aren't coming out, right, because it's not part of their culture or it's not kind of something that they're into, you're putting that on because it's your passion, and then you would hope that other expats are going to come out, and then they don't come out. So make the, the, did that make it difficult, like doubly difficult, because you've got the local population aren't coming because they're not massively into it yet, and then the expats who are maybe going to be into it aren't coming either. Yeah, I mean, because you'd like to think we can bank on the expats because they know it, they've heard of those bands. Or it was always tricky with like the British, American, Australian. Canadian as well. South Africa. South Africa. You know, if like you could get about, like, say, for example, the vaccines that were huge in the UK at the time, they just played the O2 Arena in London, but no one in America had heard of them and no one in Australia had heard of them. But someone like Black Rebel that were not as big as the vaccines in the UK at the time, but they, they, were, they had a following in Australia, they had a following in America, and they were a bit of an older band, so more people had heard of them. That kind of made more sense. Um, I think for us, we, we always did try to get more Vietnamese. I remember when we did the Cribs show here, we set up a, Vietnamese, a Facebook page all in Vietnamese, and if you signed up, you got a 100, 100K entry. And we had about 60-odd kids that came to that for the, with a 100K entry. The idea that if we could do discount entry for like young Vietnamese kids and get them in the door, and they enjoyed it and were exposed to it, then hopefully you've won them over then and there's some lo- loyalty there. And that was the sort of long-term plan. Even with the bar when we set up in Vung Tau, expats wasn't really our aim. It was like, you need them at first. But we wanted to try and get young Vietnamese in. Ex- you know, we play a certain kind of music in our bar. We don't do YouTube where people can change the music. And we have you know, 
certain variety of drinks and a balcony. So we want to create that atmosphere that, but we want young Vietnamese. That's the long-term aim. And, and our aim was that with Cargo. And even now with the festival, you know, this year, last year was a bit more like first year banking on expats. This year with Cat Hoi Quang with seven uppercuts. We've got a couple of Vietnamese bands playing that have got good following. And I'd like to have, like, for the festival every year, if we can do around a third of the of the total artists as Vietnamese, then I'm pretty happy with that. What was the biggest challenge in getting these acts over to Vietnam? Was it difficult? Not not difficult. We had a, sort of, a certain template where that kind of fee works. So if we can get a band and they'll play for that much, then that works. Sometimes you've got bands that were kind of big in the UK or big in the US so, and they were playing Hong Kong and Singapore for big fees and they, they expected big money from Vietnam. So it, it required agents that understand where we're at and bands that understand that we're not going to make a load of money but if we're playing Singapore and Hong Kong we can flip Vietnam in between. Why not? Yeah. And once bands get here, they had a great time. And you're obviously promoting your band, right? Future. Yeah, every everyone who comes here thinks that way. Like, oh, Vietnam, never played there before. You know, it's a big market. And, and if, if you think about it, like, how much does a British band get the first time they tour America? How much does an American band make the first time they tour the UK? Nothing. They lose money to, to do it, to build a profile. I remember seeing the National at the Academy 3 in Manchester, which is like 500 capacity, and there's about 150 people there for their first show but if the National wanted to play Vietnam for the first time now they can't exorbitant amounts of cash to do it. for us as long as the technical side is good you know with everything on stage there's no surprises in that respect amplifiers microphones and all that kind of stuff they get they get what they ask for then do you not just get a whole bunch of like karaoke speakers and just Link them all up together. You probably only need one of those karaoke speakers. I discussed with Chris one time. We we thought it was, I think we were really drunk. And we said, well, you know what would be a great uh, idea for a TV show is to get like a handful of musicians from different bands, drop them in Vietnam for a week and say, you've got a week to source all your equipment and put on a show and then see what, see where, what came of it. would be easy to go get karaoke speakers <laughs> to set up on the, on the corner of the street. Go to Guitar Street and... Yeah, that's it. How was it? I was going to ask, how was it getting the equipment and things like that? I, I think it's a lot easier now. Um, when we first started, which was about 2013, so about six years ago, it was difficult. I think Fender had just come in then, so like you know, we could start getting Fender amplifiers. Before that, it was just Marshall stuff everywhere. So little specifics, you know. I, I ended up buying a, an orange amplifier for the Cribs that I was in the UK and brought it back with me because you couldn't get orange amplifiers here at the time or if you could they were like double the price of what they were in the UK so there were sort of tricky things I think now uh, there are a lot more suppliers there's a lot more equipment like so it's in terms of the festival it's a lot easier would you like six years ago would you have been able to put on the Coracle Festival um I don't know good question probably probably I mean we we always wanted to do a festival even from from day one and Rod had a plot of land up in Munay that we we actually checked out and like oh, I'd love to do something here one day the idea for us was to do stuff at Cargo and create something going in Saigon where people were used to going to gigs and then create a destination festival where they're like ah I like all their shows so it's built on some kind of foundation it rather than it's, it's a big risk to go in and say right we're going to put on a festival a few hours outside of Saigon when people are like what? You know, that, that stuff doesn't exist or hasn't happened inside that. So. The reason I asked the question, could you do it six years ago, is because I ju I'm just thinking of somebody who is maybe listening right now who lives overseas or hasn't been to Vietnam, because I know there are some people who listen who fit that criteria. And one of the questions I, I would ask in season one was, um, what's the biggest misconception about Vietnam or Saigon? And one of the answers that came back a couple of times, which I hadn't even really thought about, was, the people send their friends and family back home. They would think of Vietnam as this like third world country, you know, completely destitute, extreme poverty, which obviously we know that there is that in places. But for being the experience of now living in Saigon in 2019, it's a very modern city. You can get almost everything you need. We talk about food a lot. You can get all cuisines and things like that. But I know from talking to people six years ago, 
from 10 years ago and beyond. I met an expat this week who's lived here for 24 years. I want to talk to her more. Um, it would have been completely different. So I'm just thinking of the context of you being able to put on these shows, like could you get the equipment and things like that? Because Vietnam's obviously rapidly changing and it's opening up to the world. I just think that must have been so difficult, or maybe, maybe it wasn't. I mean, it's tricky. And again, hiring stuff here is, is more expensive than in the UK or in Croatia, which seems ridiculous. Because you think, like, how much are your staff getting paid compared to what staff would get paid in the UK? But I think because there weren't that many suppliers, and also if you say I've got like five amplifiers in storage, how often are they getting hired out? Like in Manchester, they'd be hired out every night. You know, it, it's, a, it's a viable business to, to hire backline, to rent out backline in the UK. Whereas in Vietnam, I don't think it was back then. It, I'm not sure if it is yet, mm-hmm. even still. You know, the, the companies that hire out backline are also doing the sound and light and everything. It's a one-stop shop. Whereas in the UK, you can get just the backline hire business that specialise in that. And they're renting stuff out all the time. So it would, even the, the staging and the production costs a lot more expensive here than the UK. And if you pass that on to a ticket, a ticket price, people would moan and say, like, oh, it's too expensive for Vietnam. Usually expats. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So obviously cargo's not around anymore, so what happened with that? Um, well, cargo, from my understanding, had two years, I think, left on its lease. And it was starting to, it was starting to work. Like, Rod and Yan spent three, three years, you know, getting to it to where it was, and it was finally starting to turn over decent revenue each month and get some decent crowds in, and then, um, yeah, then they got kicked out. The, the power that is Fingroup took over that part of the of town for, I don't know, whatever, apartments, shopping malls, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that was it. And I, I think Rod tried to fight it, but it was, you're like a flea kicking an elephant. Mm. And, that's, and, that's and did you not have any like thoughts to open up a new, new venue somewhere else? I, I think for a while Rod did... And then he, I think he just got disheartened because the the price of land now, the real estate in Saigon is insane. You know, like, and it, to have a venue in Saigon that was kind of central and accessible, it just, it just, there's no way it could work. If you think you've got, you need to have something on every night and there isn't the audience there, or there wasn't at that time to make, to make that work. And I know a couple of other people have looked at trying to get another cargo, but finding the space at the right price is, is really difficult. And then, even from a business point of view, you think, if I had this space, you know, there's much better things, you know, more worthwhile financially than trying to make a business, uh, try and make a business out of a music thing. So does that mean then, that that's kind of the end of the live band music scene then in Saigon? I mean, there's a lot of small things like Yoko and Soma do live music and Layla. We, we did uh, the wedding present with Layla a couple of months ago. There's a lot of smaller things going on, but it's hard to make those work. Even when we did the wedding present, 80 people, it doesn't work, you know? It seems quite insurmountable when you, when you put it like that and you, you want it in central location, right? So D1, D4, there's really not that much space. Mm. So you'd have to, and then if it's expensive, you're talking about having to buy some land, build something, and then, like you said, wouldn't be the most profitable thing to make it into a music venue. So it seems like it, it can change. And I'm also thinking, you know, again, Glasgow, a lot of music venues used to be like bingo halls or there used to be a theatre. Like the building's already there. Yeah. It just needs to be converted. Whereas, yeah. I mean, here it doesn't, well, the opera house, but that's not becoming like yeah. a live music venue anytime soon. Yeah, it's tricky. I, I, the, the only way I could see it happening is if someone did something out of town, you know, like go back or whatever, but then it's a trek to get there. No one's going to go back. We, we yeah. had difficulty getting people from Buivien to yeah. the trip, you know? <laughs> no one's going to go to go back. What about, I've not been to the Caravel, but I know they do comedy shows. Would that be a feasible venue? I don't know how big it is. I don't know. I, I went there to see Bill Bailey uh, mm. last year. Was that last year? Um, I don't know. There's, there are things I've looked at that are kind of got a live room now. So there's potentially, you know, there's potential to do stuff there. But again, that's probably 200 people maximum. So if you want, say when we did those shows with the Cribs and Black Rebel and stuff, 
we need a space that can do 500 people no, to, to, make, to make it work and, and that's just not possible so the only thing then is, is the festival the festival yeah. is the only time we can make that work if, if it goes well this year then I'd like to do something in Saigon um, and do like Coracle in the city um, that's the idea but we'll see how well, we just goes. had that beer festival that was at the, the youth centre yeah. would that be a good space that's, that's what that's <laughs> <laughs> his face is lit yeah his that's lit what we've been looking up. at yeah, yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. The Youth Cultural Centre. That's it, yeah, the Youth yeah. Cultural yeah. Centre. Oh, well, what's this space? So, after Cargo Marlin, you moved to Voluntar, is that right? Yeah. So, okay. were you sick of the big city? What happened there? I got a bit depressed when Cargo closed, because that was the thing that I lived for every day, you know, like, checking my emails and, like, you know, seeing what bands were playing in Asia, Singapore, and messaging their agents, say, look, can you flip in Vietnam, and then... You know, and it's a re- it's a real emotional roller coaster. You know, you get shot down sometimes, and it's frustrating. And then other times, you get, you know, you wake up and you've got a great email. Then you get something else that comes. You're like, great, like that. When we did that Saigon Music Week, and we had the Lemonheads, Jaguar Mar, and the Vaccines all in one week at Cargo, that was that was great. You know, and it was an exciting time. And then once that's taken away, it just just lost a lot of I didn't want to get up in the mornings you know I lost the, I lost motivation and being where I, I lived just on family row there I just I started drinking a lot and uh, it, yeah it was a bad state to be in so I just got out got out of um, the city for a while my girlfriend was coming down to Funktown and uh, every week and we were hanging out there but we didn't like um, I didn't like any of the bars it was all like girly bars and old Aussie expats, you know, so I, and I missed the sort of craft beer scene that just kicked off around that time in Saigon, so we just decided, kind of born of frustration really, like let's open our own bar. Oh, cool, uh, so, the, the, so you went to Vungtau with the intention of opening a bar? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I went to Vungtau with the intention of just getting, taking some time out and mm. uh, living by the sea, and then, um, yeah, just hanging out there is like uh, it's a shame there's no nice bars here like you see Pasteur Street quite a lot Malt was my favourite bar in, in Saigon and it's like there's nowhere like this in front of town you know it's all a bit seedy and so we I think it was just one one evening I was like going a bar there with my with my wife now and uh, I said we should open our own bar she was like okay that was it how many people have had this conversation right were you drunk when you said that everyone's been drunk and they're like we should open a bar you're you're one of the people who did it well around that time (laughs) I was I was drunk most nights so 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 what would the bar then you opened up in Vuntown Cask Uh, so it's just on Front Beach there upstairs bar so tell us what what makes Cask a bit different to the bars that are in Vuntown it's it's a bar that we like it's an art test so again, like when we were talking before about we're doing this for this or whatever, it's like really it's kind of for ourselves, you know, indulging ourselves. And then, yeah, it, it was, we serve craft beer, we've got really good cocktails, the music selection's good, we don't, we don't open in YouTube, so, you know, we have a strict music policy. Uh, we have a quiz night, that, was, that didn't exist in Funktown before, we have an open mic night, we do traditional live music. Um, mostly acoustic stuff. So none of that happened before. It was just, you know, girly bar, girly bar, girly bar. And then what's been nice, when we started, it was a lot of teachers, a lot of expats, because people think of it as an expat bar in that area. But now we're probably about 70% Vietnamese, mostly young Vietnamese, which is which is really nice. And they're a lot easier to deal with. <laughs> they're, they're really polite. They don't cause trouble. They don't smash glasses. <laughs> And then how did Coracle come about? You were saying, so last year was the first year. You know, it took a good year focusing on the bar, on cask. And then after a while, I, again, I just started to get itchy feet, you know. Um, we should do something, we should do music. And again, talking to Misha and some of the, uh, Matt Ryan and stuff whenever I'd see these guys in Saigon. And that gave me, like, yeah, we should do something. And Saigon's not really possible. And uh, we'd always talked about doing a festival. We did Mune Festival in 2015, and then we couldn't do it the second year for a number of reasons. And I always felt we missed an opportunity there because you can't do a festival for one year and then leave it. Like, what's the point? Yeah. 
you know, you're not going to make money on the first year. So I first got in touch with Dan from Observatory and then Rod and Lynn, and we talked about setting up a festival in Ho Chan, not far from Bung And um, the idea was we're, we're in it for three years. So we're going to give it three years and then see how we go. Um, last year we had, we had some issues, we had some problems, but you know, I think as long as we improve every year, I think that's the main thing. And I think this year the line better, I think the venue's better, I think we've learned some lessons from last year that we're not going to repeat again. So production-wise, we had a terrible, terrible company last year, yeah. and they sometimes what happens here they try, they you know give you a quote for a job and then a week before they're like oh no it's going to cost a lot more now when they, they've got you over a barrel they know you can't switch that late to someone else so this year we're going with people that we've worked with before that you know tried and trusted that arguably we should have gone with last year um, yeah so I think we, we're better prepared and um, yeah I think it's going to be good this year and how many people did you have last year? Last year we had 600 or so people. Um, Quest was obviously the, the week after us, and that got shut down last year. So it was, it was it was also bad timing for us. But because that's a busy time of year where acts are in the region, it makes sense. We it's hard for us. We don't have the budget to fly someone over for a one-off festival in Vietnam um, from the UK or from the US. So it needs to be something they can flip in while they're in Asia. Um, so it makes sense for us to do it around that time but Quest was already established I think at that point they had five or six thousand people going to Quest so it wasn't the best time you know to go to go head to head with Quest but we I think we're, we're slightly different anyway and our long term aim is, is a different kind of festival than what Quest wants so. and so how have you sourced the bands then for this year similar touring in the region or yeah um I think a couple of them are playing Coffin Flat in Hong Kong. That's usually like when Black Rebel and Vaccines and stuff came here. That was around that time when they played Coffin Flat Festival. So there's a couple of acts that are playing there um, and are in the region at the time. So there's a few acts we got offered and then some didn't work for the... I think that's the difficult thing. Whereas Cargo before, if you got offered a band and they said, we can only do the Thursday in Vietnam, we did the Thursday. Whereas now we're saying, can you do the Saturday? We, we're only on Friday, Saturday, and like last year, the vaccines wanted to come back last year for um, COVID, but they could only do Sunday, and our festival was Friday and Saturday. So it's, it's one of those. If it was, you know, in, in just a gig at Cargo, we'd have done a Sunday night. So what should people expect from this year's Coracle Festival? I, I, I'm, I'm really pleased with the lineup at the end, cause, considering the budget we have. I think, and the ticket price, I think the lineup's really good. It's really diverse. There's Lemonheads, which most people will know about, and then um, this girl, Nonku Fairy, a South African girl, who's amazing. Um, so I'm excited to see her. William McCarthy, who was in Augustine's, they were one of my favourite bands. He's coming over and playing. He's amazing live as well. So there's, it's really diverse, and we've got Beats, Bars and Breaks, the... Um, Hip hop crew from Hanoi coming down. Lidmore's coming back, the Danish electro pop kind of thing. It's a bit like York, she's great. And then Fleet Matt Woods. No, I was going to ask you about that because I was looking at the lineup and I was like, wait, Fleetwood Mac are playing? <laughs> and why, are they, look, why are they so low down? And they the were so low down, yeah. <laughs> and I had to look two or three times. I'm like, and then what's it called? Fleet Matt Woods. Fleet Matt Woods. They can get away with that. Yeah, they they even come with a seal of approval. Uh, are they a cover band? No, they're a, they're a remix project. So they they play house music. So they're on the DJ stage, but all their their set is remixes, re-edits of Fleetwood Mac songs. Oh, it is. Yeah. So like they, they they've done they're playing again Clock and Flap and Neon Lights Festival. They're in the region, and I was looking at some. I think they played Burning Man. They played Six Years in a Row at Glastonbury. And they played Wonderfruit last year, and one of our investors went through Wonderfruit last year, and he said they were the best thing for the whole weekend. It was like it was great fun. So they they play at midnight on the Saturday. So the Saturday Lemonheads close the main stage on the Saturday, and then Fleet Matt Wood play after that on the DJ stage. So the last night's going to be 
a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think I just told you, I messaged my wife today and I was like, we're going to go to college. It looks awesome. Well, let, let it, let's let at this point then, if you've been listening this far, thank you very much. We're going to tell you how you can win three passes worth 1.5 million dong each. What you need to do, if you haven't already, like the Facebook page, 7 Million Bikes, and then share the link for this episode via Facebook. And then if I see that you've liked the page and that you've shared the episode, we're going to put you on a draw. We're going to pull three names at random and uh, I'll be able to send you a passport 1.5 million for Coracle. So thank you very much for that. No problem. So quickly tell us, when is it? How do you get there? What do people need to know if they want to go to Coracle? So it's two nights, three days um, in Ho Cham at Hung Fong Resort. There are buses leaving from uh, District 2, from Saigon Outcast, on the Friday, returning on the Sunday. I think they leave at 12, 3 and 6 p.m. Um, the ticket's 1.5 mil. All the lineup is on the website and all the necessary information. All right, that sounds good. So we'll move on to the final questions that I ask everybody at the end of each episode. So first of all, uh, what bike do you drive and how do you deal with the traffic in Saigon? I drive a Honda Vision. And Saigon, actually, I quite like it because I'm only here two days a week. So compared to Vung Tau, I kind of like the bus for a couple of days and nipping in and out and things like that, you know. So I don't really have a problem with it. When I lived here, I didn't ride a bike. I lived, I lived on Family Lao and, like, got seance everywhere. So. What was it like living on Family Lao? Why did you choose to live there? For anyone who doesn't know, that's, like, the backpacker area and pretty dodgy. <laughs> what are you implying? <laughs> um, no, I, I I lived in a few places. I started off in District Five, moved to Fumi Home. Didn't really like it, Fumi Home. And then, for practical reasons, being close to cargo and being in just in District One, I lived on Family Lao, and it was only supposed to be short term. And then it ended up like three three and a half years. So. And uh, well, what's the oddest thing you've seen on a bike? Yeah, it's weird. I, I, there's a lot, really. Like, <laughs> it's the thing everybody's got a story. It's a strange it's like, question, but everyone's pig, got a story. I've seen a pig. I've seen a fridge freezer. I've seen another motorbike strapped on at the back of a ba- of a bike. Um, but I think when you when you're here for that long, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me anymore. You know, it's it's not something I think. Oh, there's just you know another day. But I was just talking to someone about this just last week. And this is the thing, I've still been here for a few years now. There's so many things in Vietnam that you just like, yeah, you don't even pay any attention to it. Like we kind of met talking earlier about the karaoke machines on the street and like the speakers on the street. Yeah. Like, you know, like that, you don't even give it a second glance if there's somebody on the street with a massively loud speaker singing into a microphone. Yeah. But then you take a step back, like, like there's no other country in the world where that would be happening, right? And when I, when I think about it, and I think, yeah, it is a weird place. When you first come in, and like, you're like, this is bizarre. And I, I have that experience when I see bands, when I pick them up at the airport, and you, they're driving through this chaos, this sea of bikes, and they've all got their phones out, video, and it's like, this is nuts. Now I was looking at the six people on the motorbike. And you think, like, yeah, it is, it is a bit nuts when you first yeah. get here. After, like, a few years, you just get... Because it's just the way of life. Every country's different, right? There's yeah. just some things here that are a little bit different. So have you got one thing that you can think of, the oddest thing you've seen on a bike? I think when I, I did that H2H ride a few years ago and then we were going through, uh, where is it, like Bumatut area. Yeah, and that, it was the big, a big pig strapped onto the back of a bike. Alive or dead? Dead. It's like a big dead pig. And it's like, all right. How, are you gonna, how else are you going to transport your dead yeah. pig, right? So you've got 24 hours off, right? And you come up to Saigon for 24 hours. What do you do? Um, I usually, the, the, where, where I used to live on Family Lao, I used to like the, the Bokar for breakfast at Firkwin. Why does this always come up? Have you, you haven't Bokar. held previous episodes? Like, Bokar seems to come up like it's, 50% it, it, of the time. I'm probably not good with foreign food, but... Um, our cars like beef stew in it, yeah. so, so, <laughs> so I, I think you, that's the Irish in there. No, like, no, so you, this has come up so many times now. I, I know you've listened to a couple of episodes, but it's come up before because I find it hilarious. Like, I love bar car as well. And like you just said, it's beef stew, yeah. but you have it for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> so that, and then... Um, so you start the day off with beef stew. Bar, bar car, yeah. And then 
that's the thing about Saigon. It's really good for food and drink, but not there's not a lot to do it. So, like, so tell us. I, I, if, if, if I had a day off, I'd, be, I'd probably get out to District 2, to the boathouse, sit by the river there, because even though it's only 20 minutes away, but it's like an escape from, from the city. Yeah, it's my favourite place. Yeah. yeah, and I love sitting there. I remember saying to Misha one time, it's like, the thing about the boathouse is I never feel in a rush to leave. <laughs> I could sit here all day, you know? And, um, yeah, all right, and so we got bar call for breakfast, then you head out to the boathouse. Boathouse for lunch. For lunch. And then probably into the evening. <laughs> <laughs> some sundowners. Yeah, and yeah. Then, it's a good place to go for some sundowners. Yeah. Yeah, for and sure. then, you know, back into District 1, I think, like, malt, some of the craft beer places, Pastor Street, whatever there. I've been in the new tap room, which is nice. Union Jacks for tea. So I'm like, that's really expat. Yeah, <laughs> craft beer, Union Jacks. <laughs> but hey, it's your day off. You can do what you want. I mean, that, that's a pretty good day for me as well. Yeah. Well, this one, um, we're going to go outside of Saigon too. You've got a whole week to explore Vietnam. Where would you go? Um, there's a few places. When I first came here, I did all the tourist places and that. Um, but Queen Yon, I never made it to. And uh, Phung Nha Cave, is it? The, the big cave. There are a couple of things I like to do. Um, yeah, I've done the H2H cycle ride a couple of times, which is a, a charity ride from Hanoi to Ho Chi Minh. They do every year around April. So that was kind of cool in terms of seeing Vietnam off the beaten track. That's know? incredible. You cycled the length of Vietnam. Mm, the second time my dad did it as well. Wow. 69 years old. <laughs> that's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. What was that like then? I know, so the H2H is an unbelievable event. Like, mm. a lot of people ask me, am I going to do it? Um, I would like to. I still think I could. But, like, so what's that like then? Um, yeah, it was great. It was hard work, mm. especially for me that I don't do that much exercise. Um, and the first year, the first year, I think I, I got loads of sponsorship the first year because I think most of my friends thought, you're not going to do that. And then after the, when I started doing it the second year, people were like, it can't be that hard then. <laughs> you know, um, but the second year I did it with my dad, that was pretty special. You know, like, I've lived in Vietnam now for 10 years, so don't get to see my parents or family that much. So it was nice for my dad to come over and spend a month together. And um, that was pretty cool. It was just good, you know, father-son bonding time. Lots of, you know, chats about what Manchester United were getting up to and, Oh, your Manchester yeah. United thing. Yeah, yeah sadly. <laughs> <laughs> now that must have been an incredible experience, and you must have seen such another side of Vietnam. You because, know, like we mentioned, like the perception that people have of Vietnam is probably what you experienced on that bike ride. But then we live in Saigon, and it's not like yeah. that at all. But I think sometimes Saigon gets a bit of a bad rap, but because like any big city, it's got its problems. You know, like people getting mugged or backpackers getting targeted and taxi scams and things like that but then when you get out into the countryside and stuff and people are so nice you know and they we, we used to have the in Vietnamese the um, slogan on the battle the information that tells people what you do people are so grateful you know they come out giving you beers and stuff it's great yeah I mean the Vietnamese people are really amazing yeah it's just so friendly for sure alright um, so we talked about a few places to go drinking, eating, but do you have a hidden gem that you could share with people? There's a place we used to go to, and I had to check earlier with Rod the address. It's on Dintin Huang, and it's about 190. It's a duck noodle place that used to be open at four or five in the morning. So after we finished it, cargo, and you know we'd had a good few drinks inside us. There's this place, and they called it medicinal duck noodles. Mm-hmm. It was pretty special. 190. I think it's around there. We'll we'll find it and we'll put put it in the show notes. If you go there at 4 a.m., it'll be the place that's open. (laughs) open. (laughs) We'll put it in the show notes if people want to go find it. They can do it. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Great to hear about Cargo, the music scene. I'm excited for Coracle. It's good to know that there is some live music. I'm going to satiate my thirst to go and see some live music. And uh, thank you very much for the, the ticket. So again, I'll remind you, if you want want to win one of three tickets for the Coracle Festival, like the Facebook page, share the link for this post, and you'll go into the draw. So uh, thank you very much. Good luck for Coracle, and uh, thank you for joining me. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks,
for listening to another episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast. Apologies if the sound quality wasn't the best on that episode. I've been having massive troubles with uh, my microphone and then getting a replacement microphone and getting the original one fixed. And I actually had to record that episode on the computer microphone, which is not ideal. And a massive thank you to Lewis Wright, who tried his very best to make that sound quality as good as it possibly could be. And that was as best that we could get it. So thank you to Lewis. And thank you to Lewis, as always, for composing the theme music for 7 Million Bikes. Thank you to Leo Nguyen for helping me design the cover art for 7 Million Bikes. If you want to get in touch, you want to send me an email, you can get me at 7millionbikes at gmail.com or you can get us on Facebook. Go leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Remember, you can get the podcast anywhere that you listen. So Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts and on the website 7millionbikes.com. So thanks for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show and have a good day. Cheers. hope you enjoyed this episode if you're like me you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public wi-fi this opens you up to digital snoopers it's a massive problem it can be your internet service provider or you know who looking at what you do online or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data these days it is vital that you keep your data safe NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.